I think there are a few people who wake up in the morning with the hope that I hope I don't enjoy today. <laughs> there might be some, but not many. I think most of us wake up with the desire that I hope today is a meaningful day. I hope today is a satisfying day. I hope today I find joy in this day in some way, shape, or form. And it's there. We have that because God placed it in us. He created us to live a satisfying life. And Jesus, when he came, he said, I've come to give you abundant life, the, the abundant life to restore the kind of life that they experienced in the Garden of Eden. And yet, so oftentimes, we don't experience it. The way to experience a satisfying, enjoying life every day is to live in constant conversational relationship with God. Because when we live in constant conversational relationship with God, He nudges us and leads us and guides us to experience what He wants us to experience, to go where He wants us to go. It's not always fun, but it can be satisfying. And so as we continue our study in Luke chapter 24, we come to a part of the story where the emphasis is to cooperate with God and what he wants to say to us. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. Is there anybody needs a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand. Got a couple up here. Luke chapter 24. And I put the, the page number there for you to find it easily. So Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. I'll give you a chance to get there. So we've been walking through this, this passage of Scripture, and we've seen some truths over the last uh, four messages. So we'll run through those quickly, and then we'll look at the next one. So we're in Luke chapter 24, and what we've seen so far, the first truth was that as life goes on, Jesus is near. As life goes on, Jesus is near. Verse 13, the two, peop the two people who were following Christ, this is resurrection day. Jesus has risen from the dead. These two have heard rumors about it, and now for some reason they're walking from Jerusalem to a town about seven miles away at Mass, and that's where we pick up the story. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and when they were talking with each other about all these things, about Jesus rising from the dead and, being, and appearing, that had happened. As life, goes on, as life goes on, Jesus is near. The second point was that Jesus is the reacher. He's the one that reaches toward us. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It was just like he, he just kind of walked up and joined them as they're walking along. He's the one that reached out to them. They weren't reaching to him. He reaches to them. It's the same with us. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, verse, and, and number three, God uses our angst to pull us closer to him. God uses our angst to pull us closer to him. What is this conversation, verse 17, that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? God uses the angst to pull us close to him. He asked them the question. And then the fourth one is Jesus, or, or God engages us by asking questions. 
Verse 19, he said to them, what things? Engages with them. And we talked a lot about how God asks questions. And his purposes in intentional conversation questions are to stop us because they were talking among themselves, but they were thinking wrong. And so he stopped them to expose the upside down stuff, the wrong kind of thinking, to reveal who God is and the truths that he has, those aha moments that we have, and to challenge us to turn away from the old and turn to him. Number five, engaging God together is better. I find it interesting that it was two of them that were walking along, not one. And so oftentimes God engages us in the context of community. He reaches into our lives. He gives us assurance and help and encouragement and instruction. Verse 19 and, and the whole conversation shows that it was the two of them. And then number six, honesty with God is essential. Don't play games with God, we learned. Just be honest with him. When he asks you a question, just be honest. He, because here's a clue. He knows. There's never anything that crosses your mind that he isn't already aware of. Verse 19, And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They were honest with God. They were just honest with him. They said, we, 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 we don't know what to think. This is what we're hearing. This is what we're thinking. And we need to be that honest with Jesus. Just be honest with him. And then last week we looked at number seven, that God is the revealer. He is the revealer. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we saw that we are blind by default. Our, our, our normal response is to be blind because sin blinds us. We don't see the truth of God except that he reveals it. Only God can open our eyes. That's why we live in a world where you shake your head and go, how can people even think that? Because our default is to be blind to the spiritual things. Only God can open our eyes, and then we must, but we must give God sufficient time and attention. And I guess it was a couple of weeks ago that we were dealing with this, right? And I said, remember the story, don't be like Spike? Don't be like Spike. Don't be stupid. Um, listen, give God enough time so that you can hear. Because only God will connect the dots according to his plan. God will connect the dots according to his plan. But we must learn to hear the message God speaks, not the message we want to hear. Undo the filter, take the filter off, listen to him, allow him to be honest. Now, if you want to go back on, um, on, on the website, you can watch the message, these, the previous four messages if you want to do that, or there's an audio, um, an MP3 that you can download, a podcast, if you want to get those messages. So let's read the rest of this passage and then look at the next 
truth. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them all the, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew, drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he, had, he, was, and how he was known to them in breaking of the bread. Let's talk about cooperating with God in relational conversation. Cooperating with God. God is God. He is a loving Heavenly Father. But He is also Almighty God. We need to keep that in our mind. In fact, my second book was Intimacy and All because there's got to be both sides of that. God is Almighty God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, sovereign, in control. He's coming again. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. He's God. And he deserves for us to bow at his feet as almighty God. And But when we bow at his feet as almighty God, he will lift us up into his lap as loving heavenly dad. Amen. But it's both and. Mm -hmm. And we need, to, we need to remember that. And so as I talk about cooperating with God, we have to give him that place. He's the one that determines truth. We don't negotiate truth, okay? God is God. What he says is true. And we have to submit to that. So today I want to talk about, last week we saw how he reveals. He's the one that reveals. And we looked at verse 27. You want to keep your Bibles open there. And, and so Jesus, as he, re, as he listens to their frustration and, and what um, they don't understand. He responds by beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Even Jesus used the Bible to connect the dots. And so in this relationship with God, it can't just be prayer. It can't just be conversation. There has to be the plumb line, the foundation, the core is the Bible because that's where the truth is. And so God uses the Bible as the core of this relational conversation. The Word of God used by the Spirit of God in a surrendered heart transforms and reveals to us and, and causes us to experience the enjoyment that He wants us to have. And so true relational conversation, I put this in your notes, true relational conversation with God requires the foundation of biblical truth. Amen. You have to have that foundation. You have to it, oh, every, anything God will say to you will align with Scripture. It will, it will be affirmed by Scripture. The principles um, that we live by. Um, and so there, there, there's not going to be specific Scriptures that say, this is what you ought to watch on TV. 
And one of the reasons is because 2,000 years ago, they didn't have TV. But there are principles within Scripture that will help us understand what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be living. And so as we go to truth, and, that, and oh, this wasn't in my notes, but I've had people come to me and say, I believe God told me to do this, such and such a thing. And I will say, that can't be true because the Bible says exactly the opposite. So if you think you hear God saying something, you need to go to the Word of God or have the Word of God so strong in your mind and your heart that you can say, oh yeah, that, that aligns with it. That is what the voice of God would sound like. Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It's what God wants to do all the time. It's what God wants to do if we will let him. There are things that we will never understand. There are things that are beyond us. But there are so many things in this life that he wants to lead us to engage us in conversation or to reveal and make sense of the things in our lives, to connect the dots. But we have to cooperate with him by knowing and doing the Bible. And we need to work hard at, at, at listening more than working hard at figuring things out on our own. We need to work hard at listening more than trying to figure things out on our own. Because we live in a world that says, if, if, I, just, if I just really put my mind to it, I will be able to figure this out. And there are things that you can't. But there are things that God will reveal. Yes. And so we need to work hard at cooperating with God. When I was, when I was growing up, every year our vacation was to, um, my parents had a camper, take our camper up to East Harbor, Ohio, which is on Lake Erie, and we would camp for 10 days. Every, and, and, um, when we would go on vacation, as a child, I had few worries and, f and really no worries and a few responsibilities. That, that was my job as a child. Not to worry about things. I'm not an adult. I don't need to worry. I didn't need to, worry. I didn't need to go to my dad and say, how are we going to pay for this? Uh, how, you know, are you sure you know the route to drive? You know. If an 11-year-old says that to his dad, it's not going to go well anyway. So. <laughs> and so our yearly vacation on Lake Erie, my mom and dad would take care of pretty much everything. And us four kids were simply to do what we were told. Got it? Simply to do what we were told to do. And how to do it. And when to do it. And where to do it. <laughs> Just cooperate. Just cooperate. We were children. We were supposed to just cooperate. Oftentimes, my parents would get the camper ready and everything so that when we would get out of school or you know, whatever we were doing, it was all ready. It was hooked up. Just all we had to do was jump in the car, and we didn't even have to fasten our seatbelts. In fact, some of the time, we would ride in the back window. Amen. I know those of you that are younger are just appalled. 
But that's what we did. When we were arrived, when we arrived, we'd stay in the car. My dad would get out and he would go into the office at the campgrounds and he would get the lot assignment and he would pay the bill and he would come back out and we would ride in the car until we got to that lot. And then we would pile out of the car and I would help him back in, you know, tell him which way to go. And, and then everybody had a few responsibilities. I had to go get water, bring it back. My sisters, everybody didn't have to do anything. I did all the work. <laughs> Jerry, if you're listening, you can chime in. But there were a few responsibilities. All I had to do, I had to collect some water and maybe, you know, help put the picnic table where we we're supposed to go. You know, there were, I had no worries, few responsibilities. But I got to enjoy. And then my parents would determine what we would do each day of those 10 days. One day every year, it was to go to Cedar Point. And it was a day that we looked forward to. Another day we would go in town and and we'd have to do laundry, and, and we'd go shopping. Every day, we would go to the beach if we were there, and we would enjoy the beach. And every evening, we would take a walk around the campgrounds, and, and then we'd stop at the store and get some ice cream. I had no worries and few responsibilities and a lot of enjoyment. That's the job of being a child. There were a few things that my dad would tell me, my mom would tell me that I would have to do and I would just need to do them. But the, the, the memories of waking up when my parents were already up and, and the smell of bacon and pancakes wafting into the camper from outside where mom was cooking on the propane oven or the propane grill and nature, the smells of nature, all of those, I remember with such fondness. Because I was a child, I was enjoying what my parents had done. I had no worries, few responsibilities. So when Jesus tells us to be like a child, isn't that what he means? When Jesus says, don't worry about anything, I mean, that, that's blatant in the, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. He's saying, be a child. Just cooperate with me and do the things that I tell you to do. No worries and a few responsibilities of walking in step with him, keeping that, that picture of the yoke of Jesus, Jesus in one side, me in the other, and just cooperating with him. Then we can live with confidence, satisfaction, and enjoy what he has for us. Amen. So that, that's why it's so important that we know the Bible. Because that's how we know what our responsibilities are. That's how we know when we're supposed to go to Cedar Point. But that's how we know when we're going for ice cream. Is when, because he tells us. And unless we have the foundation of understanding the word of God, then we won't recognize his voice. So we need to work hard at listening more than trying to figure things out. A couple of scriptures there I put. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best. Do your best. Work hard at this. To present yourself to God as one approved. How? A worker who, does not, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling what? The word of truth. The Bible. In other words, do your best to understand what God has said 
in his word. And when you're doing that, then you'll recognize when he speaks. You'll recognize when he says something to you. It's the foundation of the word of God. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but also more in my absence, work. So we are supposed to do some work. But what is that work supposed to be? Working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, understanding what God expects. When are you supposed to be at the camper? And when can you go to the playground? When are you supposed to be ready for bed? When are you supposed to get up? When are you supposed to be dressed to go to Cedar Point? When, work hard at this relationship so that you know what God, what God wants. And when you do that, you will experience God working. Because here's who takes responsibility, verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who does the work of transformation. It's God who does the work of taking responsibility for you. Our job is not to worry. Our job is to know the word of God so well that he can talk to us and we can just cooperate with him. So how, let's talk about how then God speaks to train us. How God speaks to work it out so that we become more and more like him, listening to him, hearing him. This is, in, and so for our highest good, to keep us in step with himself, to grow us to experience the satisfaction, here's how we need to approach the word of God, whether it's me teaching it, whether it's at learning community or Bible study, or whether you're doing it on your own, here's what the word of God will do for you. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. So what we have in our hands, this word of God, is breathed out by God. It's the very breath of God. It's, it's the voice of God. It's him giving us his words. And it's profitable, beneficial, helpful, transforming to us for teaching, for reproof or rebuke, same word, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to stop worrying by trusting him, recognizing that he ha I have no worries and I can't emphasize this enough. Look, Jesus would not have said, do not worry about anything if he, wasn't in, if he didn't mean it. If he wasn't going to take responsibility for it. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, trust me by knowing what I say and then listening to my spirit as I say it. So anytime you start worrying and fussing and getting anxious about anything, this may sound harsh, you're not walking in step with God. Amen. You're out of the will of God. Because right. you're, you're a child of God and it's not your job to worry. So if I had gone to my dad and said, Dad, well, that's a big camper. I don't, I don't know how you're ever going to drive that thing. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how you're going to know when to turn left and right and when you're going to know to stop and, and how do you get gas and, and how, you, how you park that thing. And We would all say, 
You're a child. Stop being stupid. You, that's not your worry. That's not your concern. And so when you start worrying about anything in your life, anything, it's the same picture. It's not your job. What you, your job is to take it to him and listen. What does he have to say? So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he gives us this cycle of how we can move from worry to trust through his word. As we work hard at knowing the word and work hard at knowing him. Just focusing on him. Um, so write this down in your outline. God is a trainer, not a nursemaid. God is a trainer. He wants you to grow to full uh, maturity in Christ. And so he's not there to just pat you on the back. He's there to help you grow. No worries, but you need to grow. So here's what the Word of God does. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed out, uh, is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. For teaching. So as we read the Word of God or hear the Word of God taught, it gives us an understanding in, in, uh, of, of the truth of God and how to apply it. That's teaching. This is, this is the information. It gives us the information that we need. We don't know what God says or how to walk in step with Him or how to make decisions or how to have good relationships and on and on and on until we're taught. Because our default is not God's ways, it's our selfish ways. And so we have to give ourselves to the Word of God so that we know what it means. And so today, as we were talking about honoring our fathers um, and, and men of God, it's, we have to be taught how to be men of God. Because otherwise, we'll just be selfish human beings. And so the Word of God teaches us. It tells us this is right, this is wrong, this is what you ought to do. Not only that, profitable for teaching and then for reproof or rebuke. It's the same word. And that is to point out wrong with a warning. So as you're reading the Word of God, you're listening to it, and, and the Holy Spirit takes it and it points out something that uh, you're supposed to love your neighbor and you've got a terrible neighbor who's really hard to love. And suddenly you read in the Word of God that you're supposed to love your neighbor and you're supposed to love those who treat you badly. And you're not doing it. When the, well, the Word of God, when it rebukes us, he sa the Word of God says, stop that and start loving. You're doing wrong. You need to change. And if you don't change, then you're not going to be in my will. And no matter how long you live, how long you're a Christian, how, you, how long you're a Christ follower, there will never come a time when God doesn't continue to rebuke you. Amen. A few weeks ago, I, and I meant to bring my, my journal with me. I could read straight out. I was on my knees, knees and nudges. I was on my knees one day. Um, and I was talking to God about something that had happened. And the Spirit of God said to me, your, you, your default is still to criticize yourself instead of to look to me. Mm 
I said, God, I've been a pastor for over 40 years. I, I'm not sure you're right on this one. <laughs> nah, that's not what I said at all. Because what happens after you've been walking with the Lord and, and you know the Word of God and you're sensitive to His voice is that when He speaks, it resonates deeply within you. And as soon as He says, your default is self-criticism because when you pray to me, you're criticizing yourself as you're praying. It resonates here and I go, oh God, you're right. And then the next question is, Lord, what do I need to do different? And then he says, stop it. <laughs> and look to me. Evaluate yourself by me instead of by other voices. You see, that's rebuke. But do you hear any kind of um, intentional hurt or meanness in that? No. God will only, will only poke us as hard as he has to poke us. And so that's why it's not healthy to be stubborn. Because if you're stubborn, he'll push you harder than you. you I guarantee you. God, look at me. God will win. So if you're being like a mule, you're just going to keep getting hit with the word of God. So teaching is telling us what we're supposed to be. Rebuking is telling us where we're going wrong with a warning. Now, relig other rel religion we'll leave it there because religion will point at what you're doing wrong and leave you there. But our loving Heavenly Father takes the next step and he says, you know what? Here's how to make it different. Here's how to make it different. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching. Here's what's right, reproof. Here's where you're going wrong. And so if you, if you think of it as a circle, here's as the, you know, one of those circles with, with the arrows, you know, a, pro, a cyclical process. So here's what you're supposed to be doing. Rebuke comes down here. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's how to make it right. That's the word of God. Correction. He says, you're going wrong, but I want you to go right because I don't want you to go wrong because I've got the satisfaction for you. Correction tells us how to move from where we're going wrong to how to go right, what we're supposed to do. And so if it's that neighbor that you're having a hard time loving and God points it out and says, you need to love that neighbor, and you ask how, he'll tell you how. Yes. And it may be, well, he likes fishing. How about if you go over and share a fishing lure with him or mow his grass or, you know, God has, has the answer if we'll listen to him based on the word of God. So teaches, rebukes, corrects, he tells us, the, the Greek word there is actually straightening. And I like that because my mom used to say, you need to straighten that out. What was she saying? You need to do that different. You need to correct it. Straighten it out. Straighten it out. And then finally, training. And so in that cycle, it's the correction and then ongoing training so that we can be all that God wants us to be. So how did that look for... Um, the two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus taught them because they had been Christ followers for a while. They'd been a part of the larger group of, of those who were following Christ. And so they had been taught. They knew. And then he comes to them. If you, if you look at uh, Luke 24, verse 25. And be ready for, in, when you're in that cycle of teaching and you get the rebuke, be ready for these kinds of words. 
Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones. That's not very nice, Jesus. But it's the truth. (laughs) I wish I had my journal here. Have you ever had God say, stop being stupid? There are just times, he doesn't, he's not mean about it. He's just, he needs to be just clear. Stop being stupid. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that, I, the, all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, you should have put some of the dots together before this. But then he corrected them in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. In other words, he's saying, remember how many times I said to you that I had to go to Jerusalem and I'd be arrested and I would die? I said those, that often to you. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, if he interpreted, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus trained them. So he had taught them. Now he's rebuking them. He's correcting them. And then with the word of God, he trains them so that when they go back to the other believers, they have in their, in their minds and in their hearts the words that they need to hear about what this resurrection thing is all about. So I meant to say this earlier. Let me say it. If you are not having conversation with God, using the Bible regularly, then you're not hearing from God. And you don't realize how far adrift you are from God. That's how important the Word of God is. Do you know, one of the reasons the world is the mess that it's in is because back in the 60s, they took the Word of God and prayer out of school. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying Christian school. I mean, I'm just saying the elementary school that I went to, we would start the day with just the scripture or it was just a, it was a public school. But the farther we get away from the truth of God, the farther we drift away from what's right and what's wrong. And American Christians by and large are ignorant of this. If you're not spending time in the Word of God, in the presence of God, listening to what He has to say, you don't realize how far you're drifting from God. That's why we, we emphasize a daily devotional. Why we emphasize having regular scripture readings that we provide for you. And, and, and with the question, what is sticking out to you? What is it God saying to you? What do you need to do with this? It's why we have Bible studies, why we have learning communities, why in our Sunday mornings we spend time in the Word of God rather than just nice fluffy messages. It's because the Word of God is transforming. Amen. It's transforming. The Word of God used by the Spirit of God in a surrendered heart will transform. It's God's equation and it works every time. Amen. And it's the way to enjoy life. It's the way to experience satisfaction. And just so you know, we're not going to get all the way through what was in your bulletin. So, so we're at the devotional reading for this weekend. The phrase, still small voice, 
which is how the voice of God is described in the Bible in a couple of places, might seem to suggest that what lies at the heart of a relationship with God is something weak and marginal. But that is far from the truth. One who hears God's voice is operating from the foundation and framework of all reality. The framework of the Word of God. If you're hearing the voice of God, it's because you're spending time in the Word of God so that you know His voice when He speaks. This is true because God uses the words of His voice to do the work of creating, of ruling, and of redeeming. To hear the words of God's voice is to be in relationship with God as a co-laborer in the work of creating, ruling, and redeeming. The Word of God. is It's no wonder that um, it's work to know the Word of God. Because the devil, you know, he, it's not fun. It's not, it is fun. It will be enjoyable the, the closer you get to God. So my challenge to you is, just like those two on the Emmaus, is God saying to you in some places in your life, and maybe about studying scripture, spending enough time with him, is he rebuking? Is he saying, oh, foolish ones, if you really want to know me, if you really want to follow me, you'll spend more time with me. And if I can meddle, uh, it's late, but I'm going to do it anyway. I get tired of people saying, I don't have enough time. Because you have time for what's important to you. And if I know more about the characters of a TV series than I know about Jesus, it's not a time issue. It's a love issue. Right? So I just want to challenge you. I, and I don't know, I, and I'm not going to prescribe how much time you need to be in the Bible or how you need to do it or when you need Follow the voice of God. Ask Him. He'll tell you. Because He loves you. Because He wants to be your heavenly dad. No worries. And the responsibility is walking with Him and enjoying all that He wants to do in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And I just have a hunch that we've not even experienced all the depth of satisfaction and love that you want us to experience with you. That you have so much more. And so on this Father's Day, Lord, I pray that you would reach into each one of our hearts and minds and show us what you want us to do to lean into you more. How you want us to study the Bible, how you want us to hear your voice, how you want us to obey. Help us to let you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us that we can be the children of God you want us to be. And before I close, what one, just between you and God, what one thing will you do this week to lean into his word and his voice more? Just one thing, just make, making the next step that you sense he wants you to. Lord, we commit that to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.